Welcome to the Did You Know podcast by Verisource, where we interview founders and executives at amazing technology companies that can help your business save time and money and grow, especially bring awareness to smarter, better, faster solutions that can transform your business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Did You Know podcast with Verisource. This is Victor. I'm one of the co-founders of Verisource, and uh, today I'm excited to have Ty with Contract IQ with us. Um, Ty is essentially a consultant that will help turn your contracts into a value center. And uh, super excited to have the discussion because that's actually one of the key reasons why we started Verisource. So when uh, when Ty you know, and I met, um, we really had some amazing discussions. She has such a tremendous knowledge base and experience in the whole uh, not just procurement, but contract and legal and then everything, you know, along with it. So a lot of amazing questions ahead of us. But Ty, why don't you uh, give a quick kind of intro of yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, Victor. If you you could see the smile on my face from that intro. But um, thank you so much for that introduction. So my name is Tyja Dickerson, and I am the Chief Process Officer at Contract Consulting and Contract IQ. And contract consulting is really kind of our our service side focused on, like you said, consulting, strategic consulting, readiness consulting um, for our clients. Um, Our current scopes right now focus on um, Web3 and contract lifecycle management. And then on the contract IQ side, it's really focused on uh, digital contracting solutions. So that's going to be like our product side and we'll be actually rolling out um, our product soon. Um, and it's really focused on transforming how companies contract today to be more digital and strategic through automation, smart contracts, artificial intelligence, and Web3. So we we are a huge um, fan of contracting and the power of them within organizations. So um, our, our, our real drive and motivation is for companies to really extract the value that they have hidden in between their contract pages. So thank you so much for, for having me today. Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, you mentioned all the, the right and hot keywords, right? Web3 <laughs> and AI. And I just, I'm just chomping at the bit to ask you so many different questions. But, uh, but you know, obviously, uh, you know, I know you were a practitioner and I think a lot of people entrepreneurs or founders started out this way where they, you know, they were working for enterprises and, mm-hmm. you know, you learn a lot at these organizations, right? They're, they're big, they've been around a long time and you start yes. to see some challenges that they face and you talk to your peers and they all have the same problem. You're like, wait a minute, like there's gotta be a better way. right? Exactly. So, um, exactly. Can you kind of give us that little background, you know, of your experience and, and what made you, what was the aha moment where you're like, you know what? I need to go out, you know, on my own and and do, you know, fix this problem, I guess. Yes, no, I appreciate that. And I think you're right. You know, we kind of all start off in that that manner. And I think that that's where a lot of innovation happens is, you know, being in the operations and seeing the opportunity. So um, on, in my experience, um, I've been with Fortune 500 companies and I've really traded hats in between um, legal um, contracts focus, you know, negotiating, you know, you know, 740 uh, or managing, you know, up to 740 um, a million dollars worth of spend. So really having 
um, a lot of contract negotiation, strategic negotiation experiences, and then flipping over to the procurement side. I've been in category management to strategic sourcing to supplier management. So really understanding on the procurement side, the, the value of procurement, strategic procurement, and how to really tie in and unlock that value into contracts. So I have been engaged with contract management solutions probably maybe 12 years now. The, my first introduction was um, Ariba's contract management solution. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you know they, they probably had um, at the time one of the, the most well-known solutions because it was also tied into SAP. And um, I was part of the you know, integration and customization um, team um, while implementing that solution globally. So I got a lot of experience there. Um, and, and what the company found out is that, you know, Ariba's contract management system um, wasn't built for full contract lifecycle management, right? And I, I think that we see that with, you know, SAP's partnership with iCertis today. They actually have iCertis as their contract lifecycle management solution. So they're not even using their own solution. So um, wow. because of the hurdles that we had with Ariba's contract management solution, and it's still good depending on a company's needs. But when you're looking at full life cycle, what we realize is that we didn't have something on the back end. What's helping us with the data? What's helping us with the analytics? How do we connect these contracts to give businesses the visibility that they need to make strategic decisions, especially when you have, for example, supply chain shortages? You need to under or force majeure occurrences, you know, that you know, people have been seeing over the last couple of years. You need to know fairly quickly what relationships you have um, rights or obligations to. And, you know, when you're dealing with solutions that don't give you that data at your fingertips, you're really left to, you know, kind of firefighting and being responsive to the environment, right? So um, I led, um, along with a, a technical partner, we led the development of a post-execution contracting tool which essentially would help in the negotiation process of the tool, but essentially extract key data from the contracts that were negotiated. So that way that we could actually feed, feed that to the business and procurement. And um, in the first quarter that it was rolled out globally, because then it was rolled out globally. Um, in the first quarter, they were able to, to identify over $500,000 worth of um, missed rebates. So because mm -hmm. of so many changes in the environment, it was overlooked, right? And so that's the thing. When you have data and automation, you don't have to leave it to you know, certain knowledge that sometimes only people are holding. You have this full visibility and can, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's to make sure that you're, you know, mitigating risk and taking advantage of the opportunities and rights that you have secured in the contract. So that's a long story. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, you know, this is what I love about founders, you know, you they're so passionate about what they do, you know, and, and, um, you know, you sleep it, eat it, breathe it. Yes. And that, that's what made you a good founder to solve this problem. Right. And so totally understand the passion. Um, you know, but for me, 
I want to break things down because a lot of the listeners may not be contract experts. They may not be, you know, uh, procurement and they might be business owners, right? Could be SMB, could be mid market, could be enterprise and everybody have different resources. But the one thing's for sure, they all have suppliers. They all have contracts, right? Small or big, doesn't matter what you spend. So, you know, so, so we'll kind of come back to these topics, but can you give us a couple examples of the type of data, you know, again, you know, obviously, you know, in the enterprise world is very different than even SMB or mid market. But from a contract mm-hmm. perspective, it's similar in that mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of data points on these contracts. But when we speak to these things, we're we're in it every day. So we know. But but yes. can you kind of explain in a simple way what type of data within a contract do you see that are valuable that maybe companies of any size are simply just not understanding the data or they don't understand the value of the data? Right. Uh, can you kind of Agreed. give maybe a couple example what type of data and, you know, like what are the value of those data? No, agreed. And I think that you're right. When it comes to contracts, you know, it really doesn't matter. Big or small companies are really dealing with the same sort of issues at the very basic level. You need to understand for I'll, I'll use the, the procurement side. Right. But I think you can flip it on its head and look at the sales side as well. For every dollar that you're spending, do you have a contract that manages that relationship, right? So, for example, if you spend this, um, if you purchase a product or a service and you're not satisfied with it, what remedy do you have um, beyond, you know, at law to engage with that supplier, right? So many times if you don't have any contract coverage, you know, you're really at the the will of the service provider. So at the very least, the data point that you want to have is understanding, for example, where are you spending the majority of your money? And if 80% of your money is being spent on, for example, these 10 to 15 suppliers, do you have contracts for all of those relationships? to, you know, kind of give guardrails on how you anticipate things going, what things that you need from the relationship for it to grow and to mitigate any risk of things going wrong. So at the very least, the data point that all companies should have is, do I have a contract for my top spend? Um, the the next data point I always recommend is, for example, uh, th- that same criteria, when are these contracts going to expire? Because what you don't want is for you know certain relationships to auto renew. So you need to have data points that trigger you to you know terminate or give certain notices or to do the opposite, extend the relationship. So I think that those are basic level data points every company should have to have visibility. Now, so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So here's the billion dollar question. Mm. Billion dollar question is, you know, it makes sense, right? It's kind of like, hey, if you have a house, like you should know, like where you're, you know, like how much you spend, right? And and like, <clears throat> meaning your biggest, you know, investments in your personal life or business, you should have a good grasp on, yes. you know, those top spends. And so the things you're mentioning, well, you should know if you have a contract, you should know um, when those expire. Sounds like, of course, you should, mm-hmm. but. Obviously, as we work with a lot of clients, whether small or big, we know that they don't. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'd be curious to hear your feedback as you talk to customers of wh- why do you think that is? Like, why do you think, you know, they may have some info. Some companies mm-hmm. have no info. 
They just mm-hmm. never kept up with it because these <laughs> yes. companies, they're out there trying to run the business, right? Yes. Like that's what they're yes. focused on. So, you know, it's not something they think about every day, you know, fair yes. enough. But some people don't have any info. Some people have some info. Yes. But why and, is that? If it's something so important, right? It's also just yes. like, oh, you should have it. Like, wh- why do you think people don't have it? In my opinion, um, I think that structurally legal in contracts has always been siloed from the business, right? It's it's the things that the attorneys or the, the contract professionals work on. And, you know, when they do their work, they, you know, get make sure that the contract is signed and then they keep the recording of it. So it stays siloed instead of it being part of the business operations, right? And I think that that's the outgrowth of CLM because you're like, okay, now we have all of these contracts But what value is it giving to us after it's being signed? It essentially kind of just sits there until something goes wrong. But there's so much information that can be driven um, from the contract. So the short answer is that it's been siloed um, and and legal, right? And I think that as companies are transforming their digital strategies, we'll see contracts and legal teams become more core to the organization because they really do mitigate a lot of the risk and enforce compliance and protect organizations, right? So I think that it's the tradition of keeping the contracts and legal separate from the business, that's been okay. that has you know created this gap. Yeah, so we talk about this uh, CLM a couple times, and I know for those people that are not procurement contract, uh, you know, experts, um, mm-hmm. you know, what what does it stand for, and you know, what what is it uh, to kind of mm-hmm. you know educational for people and. You had a you had a, a, a blog or post um, that I read that was so fascinating that I want you to kind of talk about, which is right. First of all, like, what is a CLM? What does it do? Why mm-hmm. do people have it? But then you talked about the top five reasons why CLM fail. And that is such a <laughs> fascinating topic for me because I see so many customers buy software because they need they want to solve the problem. The problem yes. is like there it's it takes a more work to use the tool than the tool provides the value or it takes so long yes. to implement and yes. that becomes it's kind of like now the tool is working you not you working the tool right <laughs> exactly. so, uh you know and that's that's interesting so i love to get your feedback on that Oh, you ask all the right questions, Victor. So, um, so for CLM, CLM is stands for Contract Lifecycle Management, and it basically manages. I know you probably see in a lot of other um, um, sections of organizations end to end cycle management. So, this is basically what Contract Lifecycle Management is, um, starting from the initiation of a contract all the way to its termination. The, the contract is, is actively managed and visible within the system so that there's transparency. And then and now on the back end, you have data elements that you can use to integrate with other solutions. So basically it allows, in my, in my words, it allows the contract to live and stay alive. It's a living, breathing document that um, a digital tool now gives visibility to. And um, and you're right. You know, I think that there, especially with um, um, the pandemic and, you know, a lot of remote working, you know, 
contract lifecycle management had uh, tools have become, you know, a hot topic. Everybody's running for CLM. We need a CLM. We need to have visibility. We need to have all these things. The the problem is, is, you know, the first problem, and this is why um, contract um, IQ was initially focused on readiness. You can't go from very manual process processes all the way into a now robust solution. There is a bridge or a shift that needs to happen for you to really success successfully implement and utilize a tool like CLM. And, you know, really kind of giving one of the reasons is that, you know, you need to do the shift. You really have to optimize your organization, centralize your documents, figure out how you want to be successful in the future, and then build a tool to to really map that way. Um, unfortunately, you know, I think that CLM tools are oversold on what they can do, right? They don't tell you all of the expectations that the CLM tool needs before you move in. So you hear about this amazing CLM tool and it's going to change your organization. So you get it. And then you realize that it's, it requires so much change and, and people just kind of decide they don't want to use it. You're, you're requiring me to do more work and more effort with the tool than what I was doing before, which, and, and some of them are not really, um, user friendly, right? It really doesn't, it's not intuitive to people. So, um, I've even heard that people feel like it's a, you're, someone's monitoring what I'm doing. So people aren't sold when they start using it on the value that they're getting because it wasn't, built, customized to meet them where they are. So, yeah. So do you feel like uh, CLM, is it is a tool that's mainly for procurement or is it mainly for uh, legal more so? <clears throat> so if you ask legal, legal will tell you that CLM is built for legal <laughs> right. to, su- yeah. to support um, the other business functions. So really CLM is a buy side and a sell side solution for contracts. And the legal team supports it because they're one of the components that will collaborate in the tool. So on the, the buy side, you'll have your sales team and your, your, your operations on that side working with legal in the tool. And uh, for, for example, DocuSign is big on the sell side of contract lifecycle management, or you can have um, the buy side of it with legal. So it's it's not a legal tool. And in my opinion, it should be moved away from legal and really made to be a business tool because multiple groups, big groups within organizations function within the tool. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I, I've, I've uh, waited all this time until we have a podcast to ask you, because <laughs> I, I know you have so much uh, probably feedback on this, is how have, give me like, have you I'm trying to see if you have, you know, um, experience with how a supplier has taken advantage of customers because of the contract. And again, I say that to say a lot of the listeners, they don't have procurement. They don't have IT. They might be business owners. They might be stakeholders. But, you know, they, they know they buy stuff, but they never, you know, looked at the contracts as a living, breathing thing, like you said. Mm-hmm. And by the time they want to activate it or go back and look for it, maybe they got auto renewed or maybe they got, you know, taken advantage already or maybe they don't know how to read it, you know, like the information. Yes. Where have you? But I'm more curious about have you seen where suppliers 
purposely or not, maybe use the contract to really take advantage of clients that the client may not even be aware of that they're really being taken advantage of? Um, I think that 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 is kind of a broad question. You're asking a person that deals with contracts. So I'm kind of a little hesitant to to answer. But what I will say is um, sometimes I think maybe the, the question I would like to answer is what happens when you don't have visibility over the contract, right? Mm-hmm. What what can the supplier do um, or the client do that you're not aware of? And I'll take it all the way down to the operations level because I've dealt a lot with the operations. And I think that that's really where, you know, the business is happening, right? Where those people need to understand what rights and obligations that they have. And sometimes when, for example, if you get you know, poor delivery, not delivery, not on time, services are bad. Sometimes when you don't understand what rights you have in the contract, you're really left to the other party many times to tell you what that is, right? So many times you can have where it's like, okay, well, we bought this part, you know, six months ago and now it's giving us issues. Well, you know, the other party could say, well, you know, you only have a 30-day warranty, but maybe in the contract and maybe it's not done by fault. Maybe they generally negotiate a 30-day warranty, but maybe with that particular company, you have a 12-month warranty, Right. But because no one has that visibility or no one quickly has that visibility to the contract, you essentially leave money constantly on the table for these kind of blind spots. And that's just a one off. But when you get into the operations, it happens quite often. Right. Even even when you come to um, I saw this during the pandemic when companies were declaring force majeure. Right. But you don't know what force majeure clauses that you have. And so Mm -hmm. there are requirements in regard. There's a structure to force majeure where you have to wait a certain time before you can claim or declare force majeure to be released from obligations. Right. If you don't have that visibility, you can just say, hey, I have force majeure and then move forward. And then you're released from responsibilities. And and companies were doing that. Um, Some companies would even have, you know, securities built in with force majeure. So I I guess the thing is, with you not knowing, but you have to make business decisions is where you can be taken advantage of, or you could just be leaving money on the table because of the unknown, right? You don't know what rights to to claim and declare, right? I think that, you know, when we purchase things, just as personal people, when we purchase things, we get a receipt. And when something is bad, we look at the back of the receipt or we look on the receipt and see what the warranty is. When can we return this back to the store? And that's what CLM essentially gives to the entire business organization is Basically, you can flip that receipt over and see what rights do I have for something that I've spent money on or this relationship that I have with another party. I think that's a perfect analogy because I think back, I'm like, sometimes I look for that receipt and where is it? <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, uh, exactly. <laughs> when I find it, uh, I'm like, you know what? Forget it. Like, I'm just going to keep it, I guess, even though I don't really want it. Right. So it's a, uh, that, that was an interesting uh, analogy. So, <laughs> You know, I guess for companies who struggle with these challenges or who does want more visibility and and more better data to make better decisions, how can a, you know, consultant or service you provide help companies with this? How does it work? Um, Okay. (laughs) So um, CLM readiness is has become the the hot topic on top of CLM. Right. What companies have found is 
you need to organize your organization to a point where you can be successful and start gaining value immediately going into a CLM solution. You can do this. I'll, I'll use one way. I'll just one way is as far as just bringing your contracts together. There's e-discovery tools. There's um, strategic ways of getting access to your contracts. You bring as much as you can together and then you dump it into these tools. These tools have very robust AI and you can immediately start getting data to start bringing visibility and feeding into the solution. That is even before you actually create one contract request or go through one process of a full contract in the tool. So readiness is so essential because you need to understand um, to understand where you're going. You have to understand where you are today. And, and that's where we help companies really get ready. We, you know, help you establish your workflows and your templates. You know, you really contract lifecycle management is not a tool. It's a way of working. Right. You establish that contract lifecycle managed to be optimized in the way that you work and then go into the tool. And that's where we help companies really organize to get fit for the tool and then move into the tool. And to be honest with you, there's value that can be created just in the readiness before going to the tool. The tool just maximizes it. Yeah, no, I love the approach because obviously I think uh, a lot of times we just want to you know, we just think that we buy a, a service or a solution and then bam, like everything just happens. Right. But there is a no. like you have to kind of be ready for it. You got to, yes. you know, you have like a change some of your processes in order for that to be successful. So I love that approach. So as we kind of wrap up, you know, the, the podcast um, here, one of the quest last questions I usually ask the guest is, you know, uh, you've learned so much in your you know personal and, and business career. If you had to give you know, the audience that are business owners or startups or entrepreneurs themselves, or even just stakeholders, if you have to give them one advice, whether it's a personal or maybe business advice, what, uh, what do you think that would be? Like one thing you could share with them? I feel like everyone says this, but I, I definitely would say, do what you're passionate about, right? Um, and in my experience, I, I've seen value in procurement and contracts and contract data, right? And I'm, I'm very passionate about technology. And, and I think that when you find something that you're passionate about and you find a problem, you know, really hone in on that because that is really what gives, you know, value to what you do every day, what you live and breathe every day. You know, many times we kind of just chase you know, titles and 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 pay and and different things, but really it's about purpose. So find your purpose, live in it, breathe in it, and 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 be successful. So that that would be my my takeaway. Nice, that's awesome. Uh, that's how I operate a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that's why we work well together. And now super excited to partner with you, obviously. And uh, yes. thanks for being on the show. Yes, thank you so much, Victor. That was an amazing episode of the Did You Know podcast with Verisource. Hope you enjoyed it and got some great insights from it. Make sure you follow us on social media for the next episode. And if you want to get the best deals from the guest today, make sure to send us a message at sales at verisource.com.